Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord, or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 106, which the first 18 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Monday, June the 28th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being with me today. We're looking at, still in 1 Samuel, and in Acts, and in the Gospel according to Luke. So <clears throat> we're moving forward with the, the declaration of the king, which is Saul, so we're going to see now how they got to Saul, actually. I mean, we already know that Samuel knew, and Samuel anointed him, and then told him to go home. And now Samuel calls the people together uh, at Mizpah, and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the, Rephaim, or from the, hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God who saves you from all calamities and your distresses. And you've said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so they took lots. And so first it's they bring the 12 tribes up. And then one of the tribes is taken by a lot. And so there were 12 to choose from. And so it becomes the tribe of Benjamin. And then when Benjamin comes close, then they choose by a lot the clan of the tribe of Benjamin from whom the king will be taken. And so it comes to the Matrites. And then after that, that clan then chooses by lot. And the person who was chosen is Saul, the son of Kish. But when they sought him, he couldn't be found. And so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So there's, there's this great humility with Saul. You know, when, when Samuel first spoke to him, he said, look, you know, I, hey, I'm the least of the least of the least. And yet the lot falls, boom, 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 to the least of the tribes, the least of the clans, and then the least of the least. And so now Saul goes and hides himself. In this instance, as soon as the uh, lot is taken, and he's the one who's going to be chosen to be the first king of Israel. And so... The Lord told him where he was. They ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders downward. And so from he's head and shoulders, literally above, taller than everybody else. And so it makes sense that he'd be the king, right? You choose the best good-looking guy because we were told in the other one, in the verse when Samuel connects with him, we're told that, that he's a good-looking guy. So we get the big good-looking guy. Yep, that's the guy who ought to be our king. So it's fortunate that the lot falls upon him. Well, you know, you'd almost think the election was rigged, that God had done something that was going to point in that direction. And did Saul know it in advance? We should have known exactly how this thing was going to go down. And, and he's, he could see in that, surely, that, that it confirms the word that Samuel had given to him and that he was the one who was to be the first king of Israel, and yet he's hiding from the responsibility. Now, he doesn't always hide from the responsibility um, because as soon as he gets in, after, shortly after he gets in, he, he steps into the role, but he never loses the one really important thing he's got to get over, and that is the fear of the people. And so Saul's humility is based more in 
um, his fear of man than it has to do with actual humility. Because we see again and again where Saul is afraid of the people. He has fear of man because something's got to be done. And he, he doesn't have the patience to wait on the Lord. And we see this again and again, where he, he disobeys God because he's listening to the voice of the people in some shape, form, or fashion, whether they've actually said anything or whether he's just internally feeling that pressure. And he makes rash statements and rash vows and does stupid things all along the way. But it, but it has to do with his fear of man always. And he has a greater fear of man than he has of God, which means that he won't be a successful king. It, it means that he will serve the people rather than serving God. And that's the important thing in a leader in the church, for instance. We need leaders in the church who are not there to please people, but who are there to please God. We need pastors and preachers who are there not to please men, but to please God. I mean, I had a guy come to me early in my ministry here in uh, Asheville who came to me and said, you know, I think I think we would draw bigger crowds if you preached more sermons like how to be a better father or be a better husband. And my response to him was, look, for 168 hours, there's 168 hours in a week, and for 166 and a half of them, you think about yourself in some shape, form, or fashion. In the hour and a half that we're in here, we're going to be thinking about Jesus because that's all we have. He is the only hope we have in the world. And the more that you pursue Christ-likeness, the better husband you'll be and the better father you'll be. But if you don't, if I don't hold up that standard for you, then you're never going to be that. If I continue to pander to you and talk about you and the things that you feel need to talk about, then, then we've got a problem. And I'm not teaching you and bringing you to the throne of grace. That's the important thing for me to do, is to teach you that your goal in life is to see in Jesus the ideal human being and to become like him. And if you become like him, You'll be a great father, you'll be a great brother, you'll be a great husband, you'll be a great son, you'll be a great friend. But pursue Christ-likeness. If, if you want me to preach about what does it mean, how can I be a better husband, father, brother, son, friend, whatever, pursue Christ-likeness. But I've got to show you what that looks like when I preach. I've got to tell you that rather than all these other things you'd rather have me tell you to do. And so Saul is afraid of the people, and so he hides. And the people, though, holler, long live the king. Saul says, you know, Samuel says, don't you see whom the Lord has chosen? There's none like him among the people. And sure enough, you know, physically, that's exactly right. And the people shouted, long live the king. So they supported him. So he told, then Samuel tells the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he writes them down in a book and laid it before the Lord. And then he sent all the people away, each to his own home. Saul went to Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. So he's, he's building an army around Saul. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. What, what's not said there is for the time. <laughs> he, he, there will be revenge. And, and you do that because you have fear of man. You do it because you fear them. And you fear their influence and their potential influence. And so he, he bites his tongue and holds his peace here. But we know that there's going to come a day of reckoning for these who have done this. And, and who can actually blame him except for why is he carrying out vengeance? Why not leave that to God? It's already become a personal thing. And, and it's not a personal thing. Samuel thought it was a personal thing. He thought he had been rejected by the people. And God set him straight, didn't he? He says, nope, it's not about rejecting you. It's about rejecting me. And that's what this whole thing is. These people are rejecting not Saul. They're rejecting God's choice 
in the drawing of the lots here. And so, that, that, but, but Saul, as we are all wont to do, is going to take this personally, and he's going to want to get a personal revenge in this rather than leaving it to the Lord as Moses did time and time again. People, they've always spoken against the leaders in this way. And, but the problem becomes when, when we have to get revenge, and it's something David pretty much never does. He tells Solomon to do it, but David never does that. He forgives his enemies, and he, he says they had a right to do this. They had a reason to do this. Move on. So in the gospel, here we come, and Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, remember what's happened here is, is that Judas has betrayed Jesus in the garden. Peter has struck off the ear of the high priest's um, servant. And now Jesus looks at him and says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? Really? That's who I am? You, you think I'm a violent criminal that you come out with this? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but it, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And, and what it is is these people have exactly the same problem Saul does. They have a fear of man. They were afraid because they knew the people wouldn't put up with it. If they came into the temple and arrested Jesus there, they would know, they would see the agenda. They would know exactly why they were doing it. And so they don't. They come under the power of darkness, and Judas takes them to a place where he knows Jesus will be, and there'll be very few people around. And they can pull this off in that way. So he is, he's a confidential informant, essentially. And so he has turned on Jesus for 30 shekels of silver, and now he has brought them to Jesus, and they've arrested him. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. So Peter wants to see what's going to happen here. He's keeping an eye on the proceedings, but he's keeping his distance, is what Luke tells us. And when they got there and they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. We don't know who the them is, actually. Or is it the temple guards? Um, then a servant girl sees him, looks at him closely, it says, and then says, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. Hmm, really? <clears throat> Unbelievable. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter says. And after an interval of about an hour, so he's been hanging around there for a while, still another said, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while they were still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So if he missed the sign of the rooster crowing, he connected it as soon as Jesus turned and looked at him. Can you imagine what was in Peter's heart at that moment? Can you imagine how his heart sank like a stone and he realized the prophecy about the rooster crowing and the denials had just come true. And he had believed himself to be a different and a better man. But here, what does he have? He has fear of man again. He is more afraid of what these men can do to him than he is about denying Jesus. And now he's crushed. <clears throat> he remembers, and then he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And it's this fear of man is a big deal. It's a big deal in the leadership in the church frequently. Um, I know that I've had some issues with it, certainly in the past, that I've, I've been willing to do things to accommodate people and please people because, well, they, they, they could make my life easier if I did or... They could withhold their contributions. They could leave the church. They could make it difficult. And all that. It's a very difficult thing to get over this fear of man. 
it is a very difficult thing. And, and Saul never really got over it. And uh, Peter sometimes did and sometimes didn't, right? He, I mean, kind of goes back and forth on this. Paul has to confront him because he said, hey, you look, you act one way when you're with Jews and you act another way when you're with the Gentiles. Paul didn't seem to have any problem with fear of man. <laughs> he didn't seem to actually care what anybody thought. The most important thing was the gospel. And he didn't see it as rejecting me, as you're rejecting Jesus when you do that. And, and that's the reason. Every time he's dragged before a court or a king, he witnesses to Jesus. He doesn't care what those people think of him. He, he cares about them in a way that says the most important thing for you is truth. And so I'm going to give you the truth, the most important thing to me, the most valuable thing I have is the confession of Jesus Christ. And if you've rejected him, then, then what I would do, Paul would say, is, is that I'm going to give you that confession so that you can know the truth. Perhaps something's going to happen here. But, he, but losing the fear of man um, sometimes becomes this love of man that gets misconstrued because you've decided what's most important. And it's not just most important for you. It's most important for the whole world to hear this story, to hear about Jesus, to know how to be saved. And that's exactly what Stephen does. You know, in this Acts passage, we're, we're finishing it up here um, with, with his confession of Israel's history. He walks through all of Israel's history, and we pick it up now with our fathers had the tent of witness, which is the tabernacle in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations God drove out before their fathers. So it was until the time of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. And then he goes through and quotes, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? I don't need some place for you to prepare for me. I've asked you to prepare a place for me so that I might dwell among you. But heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And so he doesn't live there, but, but his glory resides in the temple. What, what is the Ark of the Covenant? It, it is the footstool of God. It is the judgment seat of God. It's not his dwelling place. It's the place where he executes judgment. And that's the reason on Yom Kippur they have to come and bring the sprinkled blood blood of the bull and the goat, and they have to bring it and pour it on the um, Ark of the Covenant, is to seal those judgments, to make that sacrifice, to confess their sins, and their intention of repenting of those sins before the throne of God. But heaven is his home. <clears throat> and so, and then Stephen goes from <laughs> preaching to meddling, right? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and didn't keep it. And that's the belief, is that the angels are the ones delivering the law to Moses. It's all accompanied, the delivery of the law is accompanied by angels, is the Jewish belief about things. Paul will say the same thing um, in the letter to the Galatians. He'll mention that same exact thing. And so when they hear these things, because now it's personal, right, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens have opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. To be able to stand in God's presence is an unusual sight. And so when he sees the Son of Man, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now they're really angry. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast out him out of the city and stoned him. But the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man called Saul which we know is Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, he, Stephen, called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And then it's persecution breaks out against the church and everybody flees except the apostles for some bizarre reason because they're the ones who were told to go. But the, the thing here is, is that what, what, I, what I was saying about the fear of man and the love of man being together in one thing is exactly what Stephen shows us here. Stephen, it, they took it to mean that Stephen was attempting to put this man's blood upon them, and he was, but, but in love. His testimony is to convict them of sin and the sin of the fathers and point in the direction of Jesus. And we know that because he prays exactly the same thing Jesus does from the cross. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you hear it? So Stephen got it. He got it. He understood it, what it was to be a Christ-like person. He's able, even at this moment, to pray for those who are persecuting him, proving that he doesn't hate them. He loved them. He loved them enough to tell them the truth. He wasn't afraid because he knew his eternal destiny was secure in Jesus. Let's lose the fear of man and lay hold the fear of God and the love of God and the promises of God.